This is Pete Moore. I want to tell you about a company that is going to change the entire recruiting in the Halo sector. The company's called GamePlan. We are GamePlan.com. What they do is they connect employer brands with D1, D2, D3 athletes across the country. They power the software that allows these employers to get in front of tens of thousands of athletes. If you watch the NCAA tournament, the hustle, grit, preparation, determination, and absolute desire to win embodies every athlete out there. Now you're gonna be able to put your brand in front of those athletes, start to get them to understand after their college career, they can get into the halo sector, go work at a studio, a health club, fitness equipment company, supplements, anything related to this industry, they can now parlay those skills and bring it into the sports and fitness industry that we are going to have the best athletes become the best employees and create the best companies. And that is the future of Halo. One, two, three, Halo. We are gameplan.com. Check it out. This is Pete Moore on Halo Talks NYC. I have the pleasure of having Pierre Lecomte, TSG Consumer. We have been trying to get him on the show. His agent just released us into the Halo Talks podcast world. Pierre, good to see you again, and welcome to Halo Talks. Thanks, Pete, for having me. Glad we finally made this happen. Finally. So uh, so uh, Integrity Square and, and, and TSG, Pierre, we've known each other for many, many years. Uh, showed them a lot of deals. Uh, they've been big players uh, in the, uh, in the fitness side, uh, better for you food and beverage and halo sector at large. So, you know, Pierre, do you, you're just give a quick introduction and then we can kind of talk shop about how you look at deals. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Pierre Leconte, uh, I'm based in, uh, our San Francisco office, uh, at TSG. I'm coming up on my 17th anniversary in the firm and private equity generally. And, Prior to that, uh, spent some years doing strategy consulting uh, at Bain & Company and then started my career in uh, consumer packaged goods, uh, marketing and brand management. So when you started, and probably a lot of people don't know this, but it's called the Shansby Group. Yeah. Um, you guys were doing some, uh, you know, some early stage, almost incubation of brands that, you know, a lot of people probably hadn't heard of right. at the time. So, you know, how did you kind of keep going and then going back to your investors and saying, hey, I want to, I want to take on more mature companies and how your lens changes from early stage VC ish investing to, you know, I'm doing full fledged private equity. Yeah, no, no, for sure. You've got a great memory, Pete. Uh, not too many people know that's what TSG stands for <laughs> these days, but you're right. You know, we, we started off doing um, uh, minority and control investments and, and sort of growth consumer oriented packaged goods. And we just realized over time that what we were was brand investors, that we really liked to back uh, brands that were on trend, uh, that were uh, riding uh, consumer demand waves. And we realized that, you know, that could happen in a lot of different categories, not just historically food and beverage, where I think we started in, you know, 30 odd years ago, um, but that you can do that in many categories, including retail businesses, which we expanded into aggressively over the last 10 or 15 years as well. Um, but, you know, we, we realized what we wanted to do was really focus on businesses that needed resources and support to continue to grow, to create the infrastructure around that and really have a differentiated consumer brand. And so we saw that appealing way beyond our core categories. And that's how, as we 
began to grow bigger. We began to making bigger investments, both on a control and minority basis. We actually still do both today, even today at our scale today. But um, it's something that just transpired really over the last sort of 15, 20 years where we, we moved kind of larger in size. So it, I, I would love to have you bid on a call that I had a couple months ago uh, with a, a private equity group and they were looking at a deal. And this guy says to me, you know, all this company has is a brand. And I'm just like, well, well, isn't that pretty much what everyone aspires to have? And uh, you exactly. know, I kind of like, bit my tongue and I said, well, look, this probably isn't a deal for you because you just don't get it. Right. Um, so, so how do you at TSG kind of look at commodity products, you know, such as, you know, maybe a muscle milk or, yeah. you know, a fitness offering and say like this brand, you know, is sustainable. It might be only around for a couple of years, but they built something that, that has an emotional and, and, your guttural response to people and it's not going away. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that that's, you know, exactly what makes the value of a brand is there is that emotional connection. There's a willingness for the consumer to actually choose that product over something else and maybe even give it a price premium in certain cases. In other cases, you know, they find great value in a brand. And, and certainly that's the case with something like Planet Fitness, in, uh, which we've invested in a couple of times over the last decade. Um, but, you know, you find brands that they can create that sort of connection with a consumer where they actually stand, they have a little bit of a legacy behind them. There's more of a story behind it. It's not just about a product on a shelf or a storefront uh, out on the streets. Uh, there's a little bit more um, of an opportunity for a consumer to have an experience with the product or the business. And for us, that's where we really feel there is value to a brand. And that's where you can pay a higher price for a business because you can see that sustaining itself over the next several year investment horizon um, and perhaps beyond, ideally, in many cases, you know, we're, we're very excited and proud to see our brands continue to grow way beyond our, our ownership period in them. And that's probably the true value of a brand, uh, one that's enduring uh, over, over decades. And, you know, we now have, you know, uh, a legacy of 30 plus years where some of those brands are still in existence and still going strong. And so uh, we enjoy seeing that, uh, knowing that we probably made the right choice years ago when we partnered with them. Right, right. Um, just going back to the brand, when somebody comes in, you know, it might be a brand that you already know, probably earlier on in your, you know, TSG days, maybe it was brands that, that, that were um, more regional uh, or urban and they were trying to proliferate. Um how do you how do you kind of think through, you know, what's the DNA of the brand, um, who the people are behind it? And then how do you kind of delineate between them investing in a brand or investing in a person, which, you know, probably has some key man or key woman risk to it? I don't know if that's kind of getting into how your your own like algorithms work of like thinking through it. But how do you kind of differentiate between the two? Well, certainly in the early days of, of a brand, you know, we, we certainly typically want to see a passionate entrepreneur, somebody who really lives and breathes the brand, wants to build it up, um, is working all fa facets of the business. But at the same time, you know, has the vision to understand that as, as a brand grows, you need to bring in other talent and other infrastructure to make sure that brand outlasts that particular entrepreneur. Um, and those are the entrepreneurs that we've always historically wanted to partner with, those that you know could bring that vision, but then understood that you know when you partner with someone like private equity, they can bring some outside resources to maybe help establish the long-term legacy of the brand or the business that you've created. And for us, that's important because you know we don't just want to invest behind a person, uh, although having a person that has grown the brand and has uh, understands its DNA is critical for us, but we want to invest behind a, a person that is able to build an organization around them. 
for the long term. And that's something that uh, is critical to us. And, you know, in most cases, that means having a brand that maybe is separated from the person's name uh, or particular background, because that can get a little tricky. Um, it's a little easier to do a little bit more separation versus when it's someone's actual name, although we've done both of those. Um, typically more in the world of things like fashion and whatnot, where, you know, a person's brand name may, may carry a little bit more weight. But, uh, you know, you want to find something that can be sustainable, but somebody has the openness to work with others to kind of grow what they've initially created and, and really sprouted from early on. Mm-hmm. So let, let's switch gears for a minute on, um, you know, you build these these great businesses and you've got a track record. Um some some entrepreneurs come to us and say, hey, I want to find an investor who doesn't have a time horizon where they're going to own this business, you know, forever. And then we've got groups that say, um, look, they have a five-year exit. I've got a five-year exit. You know, let's kind of run towards this. Um, and then at times you've got great companies and you have to sell them because your your LPs want their, you know, want to see a realized return. Um, so how do you, how do you think about kind of letting your, your rock star portfolio companies kind of move on and, and continue to see them grow, which is great outcome, right? You don't want to sell something to someone and then it turns into a lemon, right? Cause sure. they'll be like, don't buy anything from TSG, right? right. Those right. things kind of, they run and then they, they cliff. Yeah. Um, so how do you think about that? And, you know, maybe the, the follow on to that is like, how much pride do you have in like that these companies that you incubated are at, you know, these public company levels, yeah. even though you're not necessarily monetizing, that, you know, on a monthly or annual basis? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, look, you know, every investment and investor has got to be matched to the horizon that fits with the management team and the existing ownership. You know, if if there's a mismatch there, that that's not going to be a good outcome for anybody. So having that understood early on in an investment partnership is pretty critical. Are we in it for five years? Are we in it for 20 years? And, And if it's 20 years, what are the goals around that? And maybe you know, we have to get a realization ahead of that because we have an investor base that needs to have monetization. Although in today's day and age, as you know, Pete, there's a lot of opportunity to do things like continuation funds and other other special vehicles that allow you to actually hold an asset longer. Um, you know, or you, you can take companies public prior to the last few months because it's been a choppy market, but certainly over the last couple of years, you can get businesses public and hold on to your public stock for quite a long time, as long as the company continues to perform. Um, and certainly, you know, we've seen that happen. And, and we have a couple of businesses where um, we've taken them public over the last couple of years. We continue to own stock, some cases significant stock. And, you know, we're long-term believers in the business, even through, you know, short-term market choppiness. But I love seeing businesses and brands that continue to grow, even if we've taken a public, maybe they're still public. Planet Fitness is still a public company today. You know, we, we, we took that company public seven years ago. It trades at a multi-billion dollar valuation, even with the recent stock market choppiness. Um, you know, we've, we've got businesses in the restaurant sector that uh, we sold that have more than tripled in scale since we've sold those businesses uh, growing around the country. Um, you know, so those are things that uh, we're all quite proud of. We love to be able to see. Um, case of product businesses, still seeing them on the shelves in every grocery store in America, you know, certainly makes us happy and, and, uh, certainly, uh, supporters of the brand. I, I know I can't go through a grocery store without picking up a bunch of stuff that we had an investment stake in at one point in time. So <laughs> I, I like to still, uh, remember that. Uh, but you know, that's what you want to be able to set up for success and make sure you got that sort of alignment with the, with the initial ownership of the company, making sure that their goals, uh, for their own wealth creation are aligned with the investor's goal for their own uh, liquidity. Um, and that's an important construct to have right up front. Right. 
so, so you've been doing this, you know, 17 years, uh, you know, with, with TSG, you know, you had a lens into the private markets, uh, you know, and, and valuations when, you know, things were based just on, on EBITDA and kind of nothing was valued more than 10 times EBITDA, yeah. um, you know, in a business that was four walls, you know, yeah. maybe that's a four or five times EBITDA, you know, cause there's only yeah. so much scalability you can do out, out of that. So kind of, how did you, you know, get comfortable with and how do you kind of internally view, Hey, this company's worth 15, 18, 20 times EBITDA, you know, when it never was before. Um, and it might never be again, but this right. is the current market and, and, you know, whether it's, we're going to put in a minority investment and be, uh, you know, have a liquidity preference, which nobody really understands yeah. how some of these valuations are kind of chopped up and built yeah. up that, Hey, I'm the, fir- I'm the last money in, uh, and I'm the first money out. So whatever you want to value it at, like do what you want to do, but it really doesn't, I'm somewhat more protected than you think. Right. So how is valuation multiples and what do you want to chase? And what, what, when do you kind of stand down? Yeah, I mean, certainly I've seen it grow. I mean, I remember, you know, early on in my career, private equity falling off my chair when something got bought for eight and a half times. Even. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, and, and now I think I, I just submitted a bid this week, Pete, on something where somebody wants to give me eight times leverage. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> you know, the, well, the, the, the revenue are the best ones to look at and see. Like, we'll do a case study going back on that someday. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, some of those tech companies in the public markets. But, you know, look, I, I, I think one, it's, it's a function of, you know, business businesses are worth more. There's ways to sustain them over, over the longer term these days. Um, they're able to gain momentum more quickly. You think about how brands that have created that emotional connection through social media and influencers have cropped up really quickly. You know, the old days of having to buy, you know, regular advertising in a billboard or on a TV or on a radio, you know, they're, they're kind of behind us now. There's a lot of other ways, a lot more inexpensive ways to build up your own brand. So in that case, you know, you can pay a higher multiple because you'll expect to grow into that much more quickly. Um, you know, certainly the case of debt availability always drives higher multiples, as I just said, you know, for businesses that are profitable and have a, an element of scale, um, there's there's folks that are willing to underwrite, you know, quite a bit of leverage uh, to help get to a, a higher multiple outcome. Um, and then as you think about our own liquidity, you know, you, you've got to be certain that you know what that path is and that the brand is sustainable long enough for you to get that realization. And whether that means when the public markets are right, they're going to be willing to accept a company like this or strategic acquirers will will be looking to add a business to their portfolio that makes sense and still will be core to them and and, and represent innovation that they can't necessarily go create organically. Um, then you're in a good position because then you can buy into a company at a high multiple, knowing that you probably have to have a little bit of a longer horizon to get that realization, just given the price you're paying up front. You know, the days of doing an 18 month flip on a business, probably not too many of those opportunities these days. Yeah. So you made a great point about, you know, strategics coming in and buying brands that they can't create internally. I think back in the day, you know, Coke and Pepsi, you know, probably had their little incubators, um, you know, it said, Hey, go build this, you know, uh, unique, uh, you know, craft beer brand. And then realize yeah. that there's no DNA. And like you mentioned before, there's no story to it. Right. Um, so do you think internally, you know, if you are on the fly, fly on the wall there, they'd say, look, let's stop spending money on R and D that's basically giving us no return and just pay overpay for what these TSG guys and, and, you know, these other growth equity firms in the, in the beverage space identify as, as the high growth. You know, let them be yeah. our, our, D, our R&D budget. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, look, I think, you know, in some cases it was a reaction to what they were already paying. I know Coke started its venture brands group when they had to pay multiple billions of dollars for vitamin water, uh, right. which we used to own a nice stake in. So, you know, I think somebody at the top said, why do we just do that? Why can't we go create these brands? And so they started an incubation group. Um, fast forward 15 years later, I don't know how successful that incubation group was in picking the right investments right. Um, because, you know, part of the battle is, is going in early and finding something that's going to be long-term sustainable, which is what we do. But certainly it's, you know, for Coke, you know, when you're creating things organically, you're not really thinking about that the same fashion as when you're trying to invest $10 million into a company. So, you know, I, I certainly think a lot of strategics in food and beverage in particular have tried that. Um, it's been hard to point to a lot of successes because they're basically putting on an investment hat and trying to play portfolio theory and, and trying to leverage their own resources to grow an asset. And that's hard, um, especially when you're running a multi-billion dollar company, you're asking somebody to spend time on a little $25 million sales business. Now, that doesn't get a whole lot of traction internally, typically. So um, I, I think it's been probably filled with more misses than hits, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think there's more and more um, benefit to companies having blue chip private equity or venture capital firms, you know, in their boardroom, you know, in their capital stack. Sure. Um, how do you kind of think about when you're, you know, marketing to an entrepreneur to say, look, this is the reason why you should, you should work with us, you know, beyond our experience. So you can look at my portfolio and you can look at some of the returns, but let me tell you kind of what you get. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's the answer to that? Yeah. You know, I, I think it's changed over time as we've gotten more sophisticated in our own internal resources. You know, before you got access to a really couple smart guys on the deal team, hopefully myself right, right. included. Um, now, you know, uh, TSG has branched out over the last few years where we actually have an in-house virtual digital marketing and social media agency full of people based mostly here in the Bay Area who do nothing but work on our businesses and our brands. And their job is to be cutting edge on the front end of digital marketing today and to help our brands speak to consumers and speak to their customers in a cost efficient way that, um, you know, quite frankly, really needs to have someone who's got their finger to the ground or their ear to the ground and, and their finger on the pulse of what's happening right now in social media with influencers and, and what's going on right now with, with new, new um, media sources like TikTok. And we have that in place and we've had that in place for the last several years and we're using that now in industries from as diverse as wine to auto parts to fashion, um, you know, just because there's learning in each one of those can be applied, particularly when you're using uh, these sort of digital and social media constructs. And so that's something that we, we go in and pitch to our entrepreneurs and our companies right up front and say, look, you're direct to consumer or you want to continue building momentum and talking directly to the consumer where well, you got to know how to do that. And that's different than, you know, putting your product on a shelf at Walmart or trying to find a lease up and down the street in America. It's, it's getting more savvy about things that quite frankly, you know, um, uh, you don't always find in today's marketing departments in these organizations. And so we put that right to work for them and it's been a pretty good differentiator for us. Mm -hmm. So when, when you take a minority stake in a business, and, and I'll just disclose, we've taken minority stakes in seven businesses uh, and we've tried to be a quote unquote uh, strategic angel investor, which I would argue means I try not to rock the boat. I give people our experience and how I think things are going to play out mm -hmm. and they kind of decide whether they want to take our advice or not. Sure. And I'd say five out of seven times they haven't taken our exact advice and 
have not had the, the, the perfect outcomes. Not saying it was going to be right. It was just going to be different. So yeah. how do you kind of think about a minority stake versus a majority stake when you kind of look at it? Obviously, you got your, your minority controls. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but give us the difference between the two for an entrepreneur to assess. Maybe I want these guys to have a minority stake in my business. Or I'd like a minority or I, or I like a majority, you know, minority versus majority. Yeah. I mean, quite frankly, some of our biggest investment successes have been minority investments, Pete. Um, you know, yes, we do have minority controls, but you know, it doesn't really change the resources that we offer to an entrepreneur or to a company. They have access to the same things that our control investments have access to, because if we're making an investment in the company, we want to make it successful. But, you know, for us, sometimes we get a little bit more excited when somebody says, I only want to sell minority because I still believe in the upside of this business. Right. I still believe I want to own 60, 70% of the upside of the company, but I want to have access to your team and your resources and have you as a strategic partner to us. That to us is very appealing because it says, okay, somebody says there's still a lot of room to run here. Um, and we should be the ones trying to pitch them on allowing us to buy a bigger piece of the business. Um, and, you know, many cases that's proven very true where, you know, the entrepreneur was very wise to say, you know, look, I need your help. I want your assistance, but I still believe there's a lot here and I don't want to sell all of it and I don't need to today. Um, and so we've been lucky enough to partner with them, but, you know, from where we sit, you know, it means the same amount of resources. It means we go to work for them as well. We don't have the same ability to maybe kind of quote unquote dictate what happens to your point, Pete. Mm -hmm. Um, but at the same time, you know, sometimes that's okay because having, having the, the negative rights to kind of say, you know, that's a good idea, but you know, let's think about this and these repercussions. If we go down that path, that can be just as helpful to a management team and an entrepreneur for them to say, huh, give them a second thought about what they want to do in terms of their ongoing strategy. And, and that's the seat that we often play in a minority situation. It's like, look, based on our experience, here's what happened. And in tough situations, maybe you do have the right to stop something from happening, but you know, that rarely gets to that point. It's more about let's have the smart discussion around it. And then let's kind of figure out how do we leap together? Yeah. So years ago, I was at a, uh, an investor conference and there's a public company doing a secondary, a big secondary and, they were doing their pitch and, and then they opened up for Q&A. And one of the institutional investors says, if it's a good time for you to sell, why is it a good time for me to buy? And that, that always kind of stuck in the back of my head. So when someone comes to you, you know, let's say it's a hundred million dollar investment, you know, on a, on a majority deal, they're going to keep 20%. You know, at what point does that hundred million say, look, I'm not, I'm, this isn't like a dividend. Like I'm not giving you a hundred million, putting it in your pocket. You know, at the same time, if you took 20 or if you took 30 and 70 million stayed on the balance sheet for growth, like that feels right to me. So when people come to us, I kind of say, look, if you're going to do a growth equity deal, you better keep the growth equity in the company mm-hmm. and then maybe you can take some out. So what's the tipping point for you when you kind of smell like, am I cashing this person out or am I actually helping them build the business? Yeah, I think it's really depending upon how involved they want to stay. You know, if somebody says, hey, I'd like to sell a big chunk of my equity, can leave the business. And oh, by the way, I'm going to go retire and play some golf. That's not, you know, a, a situation we typically want to affiliate ourselves with. What we much prefer is somebody says, look, you know, I need some wealth diversification for family or personal reasons, but I still want to be involved. And maybe I still want to run the business, but I need a partner who can help me recruit senior talent around me to create that ongoing brand legacy over the next several years. Um, and, you know, I want to have a lot of upside continuing to do that. 
that to us is exciting uh, because it shows that yes, they need, they have a need to take a lot of cash out of the business, but at the same time, um, they understand that there's real longer term value and and they want to be helpful to our investment partnership going forward. Um, you know, some cases we've helped finance uh, major acquisitions for a company. So, you know, it's similar primary capital going on the balance sheet where somebody says, hey, I need 50 million bucks to get this deal done, but I think it's going to add real long-term value, but I need somebody to help me integrate it and I can uh-huh. need somebody to help me manage it. And that's where we can come into play because we've done that several times. Um, and, you know, that's another use of capital that we say, yeah, that makes perfect sense for us versus just cashing someone out, as you say, and, and sending them off in the sunset while they hand us the keys. You know, those are right. situations uh, best avoid it um, and prefer someone who says, yeah, let's keep doing this, but you got to help me bring your resources to bear. Gotcha. So, so in closing here, you have any great uh, quotes or, uh, or sayings that, you know, through the years have been, you know, Pierreisms or something <laughs> that you always kind of go fall back to um, on, on saying is any part of the, the, well, the deal process or closings. Or- I don't know about sayings or Pierreisms. Unfortunately, sometimes when you have to, you, you have to be that sounding board, sometimes uh I've gotten a reputation in being called Dr. No. Uh, so, Dr. No. Okay. <laughs> so, but, you know, in some cases, that's just saving ourselves from making tough, tough, uh, uh, tough decisions and outcomes. Uh, but, you know, I'd rather much be Captain Yes if we could find the right path together. But, uh, right. you know, when we find the deals, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll come to our own conclusions. Well, I call, I call myself Captain Halo. So now you can be <laughs> Captain <go>. Halo <laughs> Know It All. I will change it to a K N O W. So, look, it's great having you on. <laughs> yeah, it's, exactly, exactly. We'll get you a copy of the Time to Win Again book. Uh, I'll see you on the West Coast when I'm back there. And, uh, you know, great work building these businesses. And I think what people really need to understand here, you know, to, to kind of give you a shout out is the businesses that you've built has spawned other private equity firms that have built businesses in the space at, at sure. different, you know, phases. So, yeah. um, you know, the, uh, the tree is deep and the tree is deep at the chance. The, 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 the tree is deep and, and all these companies and entrepreneurs yeah. that are doing great things, which we're trying to promote, um, have access to capital, you know, because yeah. of past precedent. So thanks for your work. Great to see you. And uh, we will call you uh, the, the halo uh, yes man going forward. And I'll uh, we'll see you at Ursa, hopefully. Fantastic. Sounds great, Pete. Good awesome, to get, connect again. Take care. Good to see you.